I want you to open your Bibles to the New Testament way over to the far right. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I want you to hear me while you're turning. I, I probably, uh, I would consider this, at least from my perspective, a very doctrinal message this morning. But I want to do this because I, I want our young people to know, I wish I... I just wish I could pour this book into your life, and that's what I want to do, because I believe it's the most important thing in the world. First John chapter 3. While you're turning, I want to say I love the fall. I'm a little tired of the clouds and rain, but I'm a little ready for some sunshine, but you've got to thank God for the rain, amen? You've got to thank God for the rain. I love the color of the trees. I love the temperature. I love... Uh, the fact that once, like October arrives, it seems like to me we head toward two of my favorite times of year, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. Thanksgiving is pecan pie. Christmas is fudge. And fudge and fudge and fudge. I like to, one of my favorite things to do, celebrate the birth of God's Son to this earth. And it's just one of those things when I was a kid, I loved it. I loved it. I think it's so important for us to, to understand why he came. Today we had communion, and I want to, I kind of, I normally have communion at the end, but I thought I would bring this word afterwards. Hopefully it'll enrich the experience we just had and then enrich our communion the next time. But I want to talk about a word that has a lot of meaning, but let me just tell you, communion remembers it remembers the greatest story ever told. It remembers the greatest gift that was ever given. Communion is the greatest good news humanity has ever heard. Ladies and gentlemen, God died for the sinner. John 3. When you open John 3, the, it is, you find in the Spirit of the Lord... John is writing, by the way, this is the same John that wrote the gospel. It's the same John that here shortly after these three little small uh, books, he will write the revelation of Christ. It's, a, it's an important book. He is delighting in life. And he's delighting in life. And he talks about the Christian having this, this gift and some things I'll mention. He says, it's all because of Christ. John said, God is light. And so to engage in fellowship with God, you and I, his children, have to walk in light also. He said God is love. And since we are his children, we are required to walk in love as the example of our Christ. John says God is life. Those who fellowship are possessed, ladies and gentlemen. If we fellowship with God, we're possessed of a quality of life the world does not understand. So I want to read this, John chapter 3, and I want to read beginning at verse 1 through 5. Follow with me, if you will. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon who? Us. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us. They don't understand us. They cannot comprehend us because... It did not know him. The world misunderstands the Christian because they don't know our Christ. Get it? It's that simple. Verse 2. Watch this. Beloved, now the crowd that, that knows Christ. Beloved, now are the, we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. 
But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will someday see the glorified eternal body of Christ. And the scripture says in the moment the twinkling of an eye at the catching of the church, you and I will receive a glorified body identical to that of Christ. I'm sort of looking forward to being able to walk through walls. I'm sort of looking forward to playing golf and if I decide to get a hole in one, just make it happen. He said, Pastor, really? Well, you know what? I think eternity is going to be a pretty good world. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, Christ, is pure. Verse 4, whoever commits sin, watch this statement. Watch this statement. Don't read past it. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Verse 5 is where I want to place our emphasis today. And you know what? You know that he was, what's the next word? You know that he, Christ, was what? Manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. I want you to look at the last line. I place it there. I'm going to repeat it a few times. Notice the difference. He was manifested to take away our sins, plural, and in Him there was no sin, singular. Father, be with us today. Let Your Word, let Your Word, God, so bring us to a foundation that we cannot and will not be shaken. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. That word manifest is a, is a word that's important. It means to make known. It means revealed. It actually means shining as if it's to be seen on purpose. It means apparent and it means public. I want to talk to you this morning about the manifestations of Jesus. That appearing, that shining, that, that public display of God coming to earth. The first one I want to talk about is the manifestation to take away our sins. I want you to notice again the plural, our sins. 22 times in the New Testament, the word manifested pertains to Jesus coming to reveal God to us. That's what the word is there in its meaning. Our world reels and rocks today in great turmoil. We see the tragedies, the travesties. We see the wars, we see all the planning of trying to dominate, we see all the political ugliness all across this world, we see the hatred. Ladies and gentlemen, as it reels and rocks in this kind of situation, I'm glad to be able to tell you and I'm glad to know that Jesus came to this planet. The scripture says he lives to make intercession for us. That means he is our high priest. And a priest was simply someone who had access to God. So when it says he was manifested to take away our sins, it is God who sent his son to show us God, but to show us his heart that he wants to do something about our sins. Jesus was manifested to take away, verse 5, our sins, plural, Sins, that plural word, denotes our acts, our actions, our deeds, our lying, our stealing, our, our, our misrepresentations. Anything that is not of God, it's called sins because they're plural. And can I tell you that you and I 
are forever missing the mark of perfection. And we all know that we fail in this sins category many times. But at communion this morning, let it remind us, because of Jesus, the sins of our past are gone. Our sinful deeds, ladies and gentlemen, because of the blood, are totally covered. The deed of our, deeds of our past are cast into the sea of forgetfulness and forgiveness. I want to declare to you that Jesus purposefully, shiningly, publicly appeared to take away mine and your multiple sins. How many of you are glad that he didn't just take them one at a time, but he can cover them all? God sent his son to take care of all those sins. Quickly, Hebrews chapter 9. I want to read one verse, 26. Listen to what it says. He, Christ then, would have had to suffer. He's talking about all the, all the sacrifices Christ would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world because sins have been so many. But now, once at the end of the ages, He has, what? Notice that word, appeared to put away sin, singular, by the sacrifice of Himself. I want to tell you, it's one thing to be sacrificed for all the sins that we've committed. It's another thing to be sacrificed for the sin of the world. I want you to notice it's singular. This sin is our innate sin. It is from the word iniquity, innate, iniquity, our inner nature. I want to tell you this word sin has nothing to do with our actions. It has nothing to do with our with our missing the mark of Christ. It has to do with a condition and I want you to hear me, young people, mom and dad. This is a condition of the world. We are not sinners because we trespass. We are not sinners because we commit an evil act or have a wrong sinful thought. That's not what makes us sinners. We are sinners by nature. We are born into sin with a sin nature. And our sin nature causes us that we will commit sins and therefore we've missed the mark of God. No one had to teach you to steal. No one had to ever teach you to tell a lie. No one had to teach you to think evil. No one has to teach anybody to be evil. Human beings, because we're born with a sin nature, we do that automatically. And Satan comes to our minds and he tries to get us to think totally outside this word. And God comes to tell us the truth, but Satan always twists the truth. It's because we have a sin nature. And God came to take upon himself the sin of the world, the falling nature of Adam himself. A college student approached a pastor and he challenged him years ago. He said to the pastor, he said, I have a question for you. In almost like a defiant way, and the pastor said, what is it? And he said, where did death come from? And the pastor said, it came from sin. And the youth said, and where did sin come from? And the pastor responded, Adam. And the youth said, see preacher, that's why I can't be a Christian. How in the world... Could a God let an entire world die because of one man's sins? How many of you know that's a good question? What kind of a God would, 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 
let the entire world die in a sentence of death because one man sinned. But I love the pastor's response. Listen, he said to that young man, oh, I would be on your side if that were the end of the story. But it's not the end of the story. He went on to say, you see, God sent his son into the world who was without sin, without spot, without blemish. And on him alone, he laid the sin, the sin nature that came into us by Adam, the sin of the world on him. On that one man, the Son of God, he died for the sin of the masses of humanity for every century from Adam to this present day. And he went on to say to this young man, which I think was wise, and now you and I, sir, have a choice. We can live after the first Adam or we can live after the second Adam. This word says Jesus was manifested to take away the sin of the world. So we sing this morning, and it moves me emotionally. What can wash away my sin, my nature, this, this evil that's in me, dwelling in me? The answer is nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again and not broken? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount in this world, no other fount can do this. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It can take all my sins, plural, in the past. It can take the sin nature that I'm born with, and it can completely annihilate it. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what our world doesn't understand. The humanist, the socialist, the agnostic, the religionist would love to cut it all out of the story. They would love to tell us, well, if you'll just live good, if you just have a good heart, if you just follow your heart, if you'll just do good to other people, you'll make it to heaven. But I want to share something with you. Humanist, socialist, agnostic, religionist. Let's look at the facts. Man is possessed of a sin nature. In the evolutionist, in the atheist, they would like to think that men and women, humanity will evolve into something greater. And eventually we can reach what one religion teaches as nirvana, where everything's at peace and everybody just loves everybody and everything is just perfect. If we can just arise to that, then we're okay. I want to tell you something about that. All those people are well-meaning, I'm sure, but they don't understand God. Because let me tell you this about a true history. Without man, without God throughout history, has never progressed. He has always digressed and decayed in his heart and in his behavior. And just as the leopard, the scripture says, cannot change his spots, neither can a man cleanse himself. We cannot cleanse ourselves. Only one can. And it is a manifested, crucified, resurrected, glorified Christ that was the Son of God who came to manifest himself that we might be clean. And you say, praise the Lord. Manifested to take away our sins and our sin. That means we're new creatures. Wow. We're going to go to number three. I'd like for you to go to 1 John 4 and 9. Let me read this verse. In this the love of God is manifested. Watch this. In this the love of God is manifested. 
toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we may have life through him. He manifested his love. God sent Christ to manifest to show us the love of God. God was saying through Christ, I love you. The celebration of the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, is, a, is just, it's just one of my favorite times of year. I love it. I told this little story in the first service. I might as well not cheat you out of it. When I was in, the, I think, second or third grade, I, most of you know I went to a little two-room school, and there was only 28 in the whole school. Each row in, in the first room, four of them was one, two, three, four grades. When you went to the big room, five, six, seven, eight, and then you graduated from eighth grade and went into the big town of called Elmore City, Oklahoma, where I had 42 in my class. I thought it was big time. <laughs> Some of you have seven, eight, seven, eight hundred thousand people in your class. Something I loved as a little six, seven-year-old boy in that old school was back then they used to have what they call pie suppers. How many of you know what a pie supper was? A few of us know what pie supper was. Let me fill you in on something that used to be one of the funnest things in the world. Ladies would bake cakes or pies or something of that nature, and we'd all meet at the school, and they'd have a guy auction it off, and everybody would buy the pie or the cake and everything. And here was the neat part. The ladies would all put them there, and they'd put numbers on them. So when you bid on them and the guys would bid on them, they don't know whose dessert they're, they're buying. Okay, so it was kind of a surprise. And when you bought it, then you were to share that pie or cake as a dessert for the evening with the lady who, who had provided it. Well, we wanted to go and support it, and I think I was in the second grade. I was seven years old, and I, I went there, and my dad, we went and looked at all the desserts, you know, and he said, son, which one of these you like? Well, I'm a pe- pecan pie pie lover. I love pecan pie. And I went, oh, daddy, I'd like to have that one. Uh, it really looks good to me, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw this, I'm looking through the crowd, and I saw this lady, a grown woman over the, you know, and I happened to see, I was looking around the crowd, but she happened to me to be a, a really attractive woman, beautiful woman. I'm a little boy, but I thought this woman was beautiful. And then it dawned on me right in the middle of all the auction, I went, oh, Jesus, I hope daddy doesn't buy hers. Because I'd be so embarrassed to sit with her. I'm a guy. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm telling you about my childhood and how ignorant I was. But I probably wasn't by myself. I was sitting there thinking, oh, Lord, I hope that he buys, if he buys that pie, it's not hers. My dad bought the pie. I give you three guesses and the first two don't count. Whose do you think that was? And that lady got that and got the number and she came over to me and we went and sat down at a table, just she and I having pecan pie. And she treated me so nice and she treated me so kindly and I knew it right then. I'm totally 100% in love. (laughs) I was in love. I was in love. I don't even know her name. (laughs) But let me tell you, the proceeds were go, that this was close to Halloween, or I'm sorry, Thanksgiving. And the proceeds from that would go to buy what we call Easter or uh, Christmas sacks. And then we would buy oranges and apples and, and, 
you know, walnuts and candy and the ribbon candy and the, how many of you know what an orange slice is and all that and things like that. And we'd have a little sack of candy. And can I tell you, it was a delight because let me, we didn't have much candy in there. I'm telling you, that tasted better than anything all year long. Listen, it tastes good when you hadn't had any, any of that in six months or a year. I mean, it's really good. And you say, oh, well, poor Pat. No, I, I don't mean to say I'm a total poor boy, but I just will tell you this. When you don't have things and when you have them, it sure makes you appreciate them. And anyway, we would have, I just delighted in it. And I took my sack home. And man, I wouldn't share it with my sisters because God gave it to me. And <laughs> but it just made Christmas special. And then, of course, we'd have Christmas. I've always loved Christmas. But I'm going to tell you something about Christmas. Christmas is a whole lot more than trees and tinsel and lights and gifts and glitter and ribbons and bows and carols. Christmas is a whole lot more about Christmas candy. It's a whole lot about a whole lot more because let me tell you this, it is every day here is Christmas because I'm filled with the love of God so great. God gave His only Son as a gift to you and to me. And ladies and gentlemen, that is Christmas every day for the twice-born man or woman. When I see Jesus, I see the love of God revealed and manifested. But I have a question. If God so loved me and he so loved you, what does that love demand? What does that love demand? You ask the question, does it demand talent? I just will tell you this. Have you ever viewed a sunset or a sunrise or the moon or the stars lately? The majesty will overwhelm you. It's not about he wants your talent. Though I think we should dedicate it to him. Well, it's my ability somewhere, Pastor. I want to tell you this. This God I have, ladies and gentlemen, flung the stars into the universe, called every one of them by name, hung them on nothing, and told them to stay there. And they're still there at this very moment. They sing to Him. Did you know that's in Scripture? God needs our ability. Can it, let me tell you something. He can cause a wind to blow through the top of the pines with a harmony. He can cause somehow a fragrance to come out of the ground up through the bush and make the rose smell so beautifully. I want to just tell you, it's probably not about our ability or our talent. What he does is wonderful. Well, Pat, Pastor, maybe he loved a man's wealth. Can I tell you, he owns it all. He created it all. The reason we bring our tithes is not because God needs the tithe. It's because he wants to make sure about what I'm talking about in just a moment. What does love demand? But God owns it all. I heard a pastor say years and years ago, when God got ready to pave the streets of gold in heaven, he poured it all over the streets, and then he had so much left over, he buried it in Africa and California and Alaska. It's transparent gold in heaven. I don't think God needs our wealth. Well, maybe, maybe he needs our beauty. I will tell you this. Would he find it in us? Have me even know beauty can change on a second. I love this little story. I told it in first service. I'm going to tell it to you. Halloween time came. This little girl went trick-or-treating, had her a big sack for the candy. Had a bunch of candies and desserts in it. She walked up, rang the doorbell, and a man came, and being kind to her, she's a beautiful little girl. She's about five years old or so. She opened her sack, and he dropped an apple in it. And just like that, her beauty, she looked up at him and said, You big dummy, you broke my cookie. Have you ever seen anybody go from beauty to ugly just like that? Don't call their names. That's all I know. 
Our beauty, our beauty really, can it really be considered beauty sometimes? The answer, if it's not all those, what does love demand? Love demands one thing, and that's love. Love demands love in return. God manifested himself in Jesus. He's loved us so much. All he ever says he wants, I just want you to love me back. I just want you to love me in return. I want you to live for me. I want to have a relationship with you. I, I want to share life with you. S some may look at us sometime in church just like we did this morning as Christians and they watch us worship. And I will just tell you this. There's times when I've, as a Christian, I had a, I've been, we've been accused of being emotionally deranged. You people, why do you do what you do? Why, why do you, why do you, Lift your hands. Why do you clap your hands? You, you guys, you say funny words. You, you take your voice and you say something like, Hallelujah, glory to God, praise the Lord. And the world goes, it's, it's just like we read earlier. They don't understand that. They don't have any kind of concept about that. Ladies and gentlemen, the world cannot understand the twice born better woman because Christ has been manifested so that we know the love of God and you need to understand something there's nothing wrong with us here's the problem we have had a personal encounter we've had a personal introduction a personal relationship with one who was manifested and it's not creed it's not ritual it's not form it's a love affair with God and his son and love, when it's returned, manif it, it manifests itself. It, it must give back. People talk about how we worship and think we're emotionally deranged. Listen, it's a wonder we're not worse than we are. I think we contain it pretty well. I, I believe this with all my heart. I've seen people act a lot worse than we do for a far less. You go to these football games, some of them are half naked and they're painted one color one side and one color the other. Don't come to me and say you think I'm mentally deranged. <laughs> or emotionally messed up. Sometimes I think we ought to just have a shouting time maybe and just do like the, the football crowd so they don't get ahead of us. And maybe we ought to say Jesus did a whole lot more than take a piece of leather across the line or throw a round one through the metal or drop a, one in a hole on the ground. Let me tell you, he, he saved my eternal soul and I'm going to live forever and eternity. We ought to just have a shout and match and rival them. They'll just rival them. Well, preacher, we've got to be dignified. Isn't it amazing? Those people, that, <laughs> i got to get back to my notes here. Dignified? <laughs> Aren't you glad we're just human? I want to go back to 1 John chapter 1 and read one verse of Scripture. Number four, he manifested to show us life. Watch this. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. I want you to hear me. God sent Jesus to manifest life to us so that we might see and know and have and experience genuine life, something that far supersedes existence. There are millions existing, but they're not living. 
I'm not going to speak so much about this present existence because it's fleeting and temporal at best, but let me say this. And please don't think me negative, but just follow my line of thinking. We are really not in the process of living here. We are dying. Well, Pastor, what a morbid thought. We actually begin dying the very first day we were born. And I'm going to tell you, the older you get, the more you realize it. And thus, those of us who have less hair and more wrinkles, we know that. Don't we? You notice everybody got so quiet. It, it, it's just, it's obvious that there's a death in this world. But I can read. And I can read where the master, listen to me, where the master walked into the entrance of a cave one day. Four days earlier, one of his best friends was buried there. And some of the people gathered around when he arrived said, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And it so hurt the heart of God, you can hear the pain because there was unbelief there. And the scripture says he groaned inside. But then he prayed something like this. Lord, let these people have a brief example of true life and eternal life. And the theologian said, he said it very carefully, he said, Lazarus, because if he had just said, come forth, every grave that had been closed would have been open. And he stood at the mouth of that cave and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the one who had death in his body and the one who had decay in his flesh suddenly felt eternal life returned to him by the Spirit of God and he walked out of that cave. then Jesus himself was raised from the dead by that same Spirit. And Jesus himself promised to send that same Spirit to us. And I want to tell you in the Gospels, I mean in his epistle, Paul declared it with great emotion. And he said, if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal body. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to someday get eternal life. I have eternal life. Because the Scripture says, he that has the Son has eternal life. I'm never going to have to worry about dying. This world, this world, fear is monstrously raging across this planet, but not for the man or woman or young person of God because he has manifested eternal life in us. And Paul said to be absent in the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. And he's not waiting on the other side. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're not on the other side, you're with me. Ladies and gentlemen, we sleep here and wake up there. Because that same spirit that was in Christ was manifested to show us that the very same thing God did to Christ is the very same thing he does to us when we leave this body. And we just read, did not yet appear what it shall be, but when we see him, suddenly the scripture says, in a moment that we can live an hour, we'll be like Christ. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, the Christian, the genuine Christian should never fear death. Shouldn't fear death. I'm glad that I know when a man or woman lives for God or a young person and they're genuine Christians, isn't it glad to know where they really are? It's good to know where they really are. Lastly, 
over in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. If you're a student of the Word, you know this is, this is Jesus' priestly prayer. What we mean by that is he had completed his entire ministry and he is now going back to the Father and he prays. And of all the things, remember he was manifested for us and you know who he prays for? Us. So here's his last prayer before he goes back to the Father in John chapter 17. I want to read verse 9. He said, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. They are yours. Possessive pronoun. I want you to let this word seek into your heart. Jesus prayed for us. The last thing he prayed for before he went back to heaven. Jesus was manifested so human flesh could know God, not just know about God. This human body has something built into it. It's called a desire to worship. It's a need to worship. It's a drive, a hunger to worship. Young people hear me because I, I want to share this with you. Please get this deeply in your mind as well as mom and dad. The human being is born to worship. We crave something inside. It is a drive that has been in every generation for, since the beginning of time. Men have wanted to worship. Women want to worship. Kids want to worship. God put that in there to get, him, to get us to love him. But here's what happens when you have that sin nature. And you're born into sin. That nature, because it's sinfulness, makes them and drives them to make their own gods. And men have made some of the ugliest, fiery-eyed, bulging-bellied, strange creatures they call God. They carve them. They cover them in gold. They, they make them in all kinds of forms. But here's what's ironic. When man makes his own God, they immediately will set it up for their worship and instantly, don't forget this, when you make your own God and you set it up, instantly men become afraid to approach their God. And they have things they say like, the gods are angry. The gods must be appeased. And millions through the centuries have crawled on their knees. And millions and millions through the centuries have mutilated and scarred and broken their bodies. Millions have sacrificed their own children to a God of their own making. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, let me say to the world population, if you hear this, hear it. No man that has ever known Jesus Christ has ever had a God like that. I want to share with you, if you know Christ, he's manifested here so in the flesh you can know God. Let me share something with you and I'll be through. And this is some of the doctrine I want you to know. The man or woman who knows Christ looks to God and says, Our Father in heaven. We read across it because we memorize it and we don't pay attention to the importance of it. But listen. No man, no one ever called God Father until Christ was manifested. Because until He showed us life and He showed us love, we could not know God as a Father. Jesus said, He's the one that said, 
pray like this. My Father, which art in heaven, I hallow your name because I know you. I know you. I don't know about your dad. I had a great dad. I had a wonderful dad. He was a God lover. I had a dad that was a God follower. Imperfect like the rest of us. But his presence sometimes would cause me to quickly take inventory of my behavior. <laughs> I mean, if I had done something wrong and my dad came, I don't know why, but I would just instantly go, oh my Lord, does my dad know what I've done? And I think there's some good, good things there. I hope you had a dad like that. If you didn't, that's not the right picture of God. If you had a dad that didn't love you and abuse you, that's not the right picture of God. I had a dad that was a God lover. And sometimes when I needed the Lord or when I needed something or I was in a turmoil, I didn't know what to do as a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old and an 18-year-old and a 25-year-old. I could just go to my dad and in his presence, I would have peace, a sense of security. I knew that I was protected. My dad gave me confidence. He brought that without saying a word into my spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, Jesus came, was manifested to take away our sins, all of our ungodly acts covered by his blood. He was manifested to take away our sin, that old nature that caused all those deeds. He was manifested to show us the love of God, how he reached for us with the life of his own son. And then he was manifested that we would know what real eternal life was. And finally, he was manifested that we could know God as our personal Abba Father. Our Father. I want to ever get this declared into your mind and your soul and your spirit. God is forever for you. God is forever for you. All you have to do is love him back and he's forever for you. And let sin abound, his grace will cover it. Don't put your sin above his grace. He just wants you to love him back. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when you love this God and he's manifested like this, you will know him as a father. And I think when you know him as a father, you can't help but love him. And as I said, I know this is pretty doctrinal. But while, genu while genuine people of God, while we wait for the return of the Son, we may not be able to physically put our eyes on Him. And we may not be able to touch Him with our physical sense of touch. Yet, we know Him personally. Because He was manifested to us from the Father. So today, I worship, and I praise, and I glorify, and I give everything about my life to the manifested Christ. It was all done for you.